It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. The fight to secure more foreign aid continues in Washington, but this week the power is in the hands of House members. At the time of this taping, the Senate has successfully agreed on a foreign aid package that has moved over to the House of Representatives. However, steep opposition from House Speaker Mike Johnson and leadership there suggests the bill may have a hard time making it out alive. President Biden, on the other hand, says it's crucial that this bill passes. As I've said before, the stakes in this fight extend far beyond Ukraine. If we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. And the cost for America and our allies and partners is going to rise. For Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. History is watching. History is watching. Failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. Meanwhile, voters are voicing their concerns over President Biden's age after the findings of special counsel Robert Hur's report on the investigation into the president's mishandling of classified documents. To discuss this and more, we bring in our panel. Republican strategist Colin Reid, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, and former Biden campaign surrogate and Democratic strategist Kevin Walling. Uh, Chad, where are we on the uh, supplemental? It's really just a foreign aid bill. The border part of it has been pulled out. It passed the Senate. Uh, But where is the process now in the House? Well, we don't think this is going to come up in the House right away. There's been a lot of talk about a discharge petition. This is where you get a, uh, a majority, 218 members, and the number has to be 218. It's just not a majority of the House. To bypass the speaker, go over his head, you would need probably most Democrats and some Republicans. Uh, You could see an environment for that. Remember that not all Democrats are for this. There's a lot of progressives and those on the left who are opposed because of the aid for Israel. So that's something to to note. Here's the other thing to, to keep in mind in the equation. I talked earlier with Mike Rogers. He is the chair of the Armed Services Committee. And he said, obviously, what we passed, meaning the House of Representatives back last spring, H.R. 2, the very strict border bill, That's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. In fact, they probably couldn't pass it now in the House. Rogers said what he would like to do is add some border provisions to this and because he wants the aid for Ukraine and Israel and everything else and then send it back to the Senate. So the Senate is done. This is before the House. The House is here this week. Then both the House and Senate are supposed to be out next week. 
I don't think this is going to get resolved right away. There's going to be a lot of fighting about it. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, indicated that uh, all options available uh, was something that he was open to, and that implies a discharge petition. I asked House Speaker Mike Johnson earlier if he thought that uh, a discharge petition would be successful. Uh, he signaled that he wasn't quite sure, uh, although he hoped that they wouldn't go that route. And Tom Emmer, the Republican whip, indicated on Fox Business earlier today, uh, he said we have to kind of see where people are. And he did not say that he was opposed to the bill when pressed by Fox Business. So you probably have a, a combination of Republicans and Democrats and maybe still an opportunity to do something with the border, we'll see. You know, that's the bill that passed the, the Senate, but the House might say we have to have something on border security. But again, if they can't get too, uh, too many Democrats on board, that could be a problem, Brett. Yeah, Colin, what's amazing is the shift in the Republican Party, long considered, at least in recent decades, the National Security Party, uh, military party, uh, and there is a sense that former President Trump has had a significant impact. And to just look at that and look at the vote in the Senate with Senator Lindsey Graham, who is obviously one of the biggest hawks talking about, you know, supporting the military and different uh, things that uh, the U.S. should be doing to lead in foreign affairs. And yet he voted against this package. He said it should be like former President Trump wants a loan to these countries. That's a complete shift. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Brett. This is a party that has trans that has transitioned a lot away from forget about Ronald Reagan winning the Cold War. I mean, I think back 20 years ago to President George W. Bush, the last Republican president to get reelected, who did so largely with a message that his Democratic challenger, John Kerry, was too weak and too feckless to be trusted on foreign policy in, in a dangerous world. And that was a message that's worked for the party for years. Uh, it's certainly taken a turn of late. And this is also a byproduct of having extremely thin margins in both chambers, notably the House. Uh, should the Republicans, had the Republicans had the election, the midterm election in 2022 that many thought or predicted, uh, they'd have huge margins and they'd be able to pass this stuff uh, much more easily. Different discussion for a different day. But you alluded, Brett, to who could change this. And there's one guy, and that's Donald Trump. And should it be in his interest uh, to weigh in heavily in a different uh, point of view on matters of foreign affairs, he can bring a lot of these senators right with him. And he's seen that. He's a he's a leader of the party and he's someone who could get these 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 men and women to uh, change their perspective. And honestly, it's in his political interest to do so because foreign affairs has been such a boondoggle for the Biden administration to date. <clears throat> and when you look at his presidency so far. It all traces back to Afghanistan in 2021, where his approval ratings went into a nosedive. So should President Trump want to draw a clear dividing line between himself and his incumbent challenger, President Biden? Foreign affairs would be a great way to do so. But you can't have your own party uh, betwixt and between and divided every which way to do so. But Kevin, you know, you look at President Biden, he is trying to provide these funds to Ukraine. He believes the fight and talked about the fight in Ukraine being worthwhile for the U.S., he has had a bit of a split in his party, to Chad's point, on supporting Israel. And that has become more and more public in recent weeks. Um, what, what about this, this battle to get this funding through? Yeah, Brett, it's a great question. And of course, you saw a more aggressive position from the president that, that we've seen in quite some time from the White House just today, where he talked about you know Donald Trump's recent comments about NATO, calling them shameful, un-American. Uh, this is a, a Biden presidency uh, that is 
uh, really wanting to take the the fight to Donald Trump in this mindset about supporting our allies to Collins Point and, and take that mantle potentially of kind of that Reagan projecting strength abroad, supporting our allies, a strong NATO away from uh, from Donald Trump. But you're right, Brett, you see these fissures in real time within my own party. Uh, we saw a United Democratic Senate caucus support uh, this funding bill, not just for, uh, obviously, uh, Ukraine, but also support for uh, Taiwan against the CCP uh, and uh, for Israel against Hamas. Uh, but we only need to see the president's polling uh, in a lot of these key battleground states. We're you know, seeing the president uh, tick down a little bit in terms of support among younger Democrats, uh, Muslim, uh, Arab American Democrats, which are going to be key in states like uh, Michigan, states like uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, where you have concentrations of that population. It'll be also interesting because a lot of those bo- those uh, battleground states have large numbers of Polish Americans and Ukrainian Americans. So we'll see if the president is able to make up those gaps within uh, our own Democratic caucus with the Israel question with his support steadfast for NATO. Uh, in the coming months. Interesting. Yeah, it's a different shift. Chad, the prospect of uh, something being cobbled together, we always talk about how there are just a few days to Senate and House to get things together in the calendar. And it seems like those days are dwindling unless somebody says we're staying in. Yeah, the Senate is gone, not back until the 26th. The House is supposed to be gone at the end of this week now. The Senate was not supposed to be here this week, and they were here throughout the weekend working on this uh, foreign aid package and passed this uh, just uh, before the crack of dawn on uh, on Tuesday morning. So you're right, and there are also only so many legislative trains that leave the station. I point this out why, because they have to fund the government by the 1st of March, one tranche of spending bills, and the 7th of March. Uh, I don't think that they would try to connect anything on this foreign aid package to that uh, or border. We'll see. But again, there's only so many things that can pass and have to pass. Um, We've talked about them maybe tying these things together before. We've talked about that since the fall. Uh, There were a couple of deadlines in the fall and around Christmas. Uh, That did not happen. But one could see maybe there is a scenario there. But you're right. They're down to a time crunch. There is just never enough time to deal with all this stuff. And and especially, you know, you brought up what uh, Lindsey Graham and some others have said. You know, you've had this 180 shift inside the Republican Party where they were talking about border and then President Trump, former President Trump, made his comments about NATO. And you had certain uh, Republican senators saying, hey, you know, we don't want to to just send this money abroad. But but I point out that that vote in the Senate, uh, despite Lindsey Graham kind of changing his position, and it was interesting, I talked to Peter Welch, the Democratic senator from uh, Vermont about this. He said this was not a a reconsideration of his uh, policy stance. This was a political calculation with with uh, former President Trump. In fact, Lindsey Graham said, he said, I'm not I'm not going to the Munich Security Conference. Now, I'm going to the southern border and he's going to be down there at the end of the week. But but Peter Welch was saying, you know, you've seen a number of people change their positions. But 70 votes for that bill. That is a robust margin. Twenty two Republicans voted for this. That's not quite half the Republican conference. And that could apply a little bit of pressure on uh, the House of Representatives to maybe get this done. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Helen, uh, the big fallout, obviously, was special counsel Hur's uh, report on the handling of classified documents 
Um, President Biden did not move forward with charges, but inside that report, all of those details uh, was a spur of coverage of what was characterized as, as him being forgetful. Uh, and the main reason why the council, special counsel was not moving forward was because he thought a jury a jury would be sympathetic uh, to an older man who is uh, prone to forget. There been a lot of critics out there saying he shouldn't have said that, the special counsel shouldn't, but it opened up a door politically uh, that now, you know, for days, it's been a lot of talk about old candidates, 80 plus and 77, and how they are mentally capable or not. Yeah, and it's been amusing watching the Democrats lash out uh, the special counsel for his report and is blaming it somehow on him as if it was politicized, especially after all the uh, complaining they did over the last few years about President Trump's treatment of uh, investigations into him. But setting that aside, the bigger political issue is the most damaging political narratives in politics are the ones that voters already believe. And that was the challenge President Biden faced before last week. You look at poll after poll after poll. 60, 70 percent of Americans thought he was too old. Now that number is up to 86 percent, according to the, the latest numbers this weekend. And his challenge is voters have eyes and they can make their own conclusions as to whether or not the guy's up for the job. And having a bunch of Democrats out there saying Biden is great or he's up for the job, it, no one really believes it. You, you need someone out there, a third party. You need doctors. You need someone out there saying that this guy has what it takes to serve as the, the, in the hardest job in the world. For the next four years. So, I mean, I, I almost feel bad for people like Kevin and other leading Democrats out there who are going to have to defend this and say, no, 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 you guys, voters, you're all wrong. This guy is totally up for the job. And when, last night I noticed even John Stewart in The Daily Show uh, skewered the argument that, well, you can just set aside the, the concerns about Biden because Trump is even worse. It's just there's no real compelling uh, reason for it. And then you've got polls like for about Vice President Harris today showing that her approval numbers are just incredibly upside down and uh, all of a sudden uh, the job of the vice president is taking on a renewed importance given that the, the guy would be 86 years old at the end of his second term so it's it's a problem with no clear solution and 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 a, and a clock ticking uh for the democrats to sort it out yeah i'm mean, john stewart also made fun of uh, former president trump and his deposition and forgetting things uh, playing those tapes. And, you know, the fact that Jon Stewart is inserting himself <laughs> as of this week into the 24 election is is interesting in and of itself. Um, Kevin, it's, uh, it is an issue uh, for the White House. They obviously could say, release the transcripts of the special counsel's interview. They haven't done that. They could say, let's do a whole series of long form interviews with people like me or Martha or Bill Hemmer or Dana uh, or others at other networks, and they haven't done that. They chose not to do the Super Bowl interview. They are doing TikTok videos and short appearances, um, but it seems like it, it's a red alert in, in the White House and Democratic circles. Yeah, Brad, it's a really good point. I think you've seen a White House trying to shift the narrative a bit just in terms of the platforms that they're utilizing, the idea that they want to go around traditional media to TikTok specifically uh, with the Super Bowl, other kind of pod, longer form podcast interviews, whether it be with uh, Anderson Cooper, uh, others. Um, uh, and we'll see if that that strategy actually works. You know, I'm a big advocate. I was a Biden surrogate uh, last go round. You know, I spent half my time growing up in Delaware. I'm, a, I'm of the belief, you know, let Biden be Biden, uh, gaffes and all. Uh, and uh, and we'll see if that, you know, resonates uh, now 265 days out 
um, from the election. And I think to Colin's point, you know, I think, you know, you, you've seen a strategy all along, you know, Democrats hopeful that it'll be a rematch of 2020, you know, all of the, the issues with a Donald Trump candidacy, all of the legal issues, all of the uh, issues with his speeches. Um, but also, we've got to give people a reason to vote for the president again. And um, hopefully that message will start to break through through those different channels. I've been a big advocate for Democrats going on Fox. I would love to see a, a town hall uh, specifically with you, Brett, with you and Martha, uh, potentially with the president. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we do a great disservice when we discount a lot of the viewers that are watching Fox in particular, that are independents uh, and Democrats that were key members of the coalition that, that Joe Biden built uh, just three years ago. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, obviously, we've done town halls with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and others uh, as well on the way. Uh, and we would welcome that with uh, President Biden. And we've reached out and continue to uh, with the hopes that that'll come around. Chad, final thing. Um, is there uh, something that we need to keep our eye on? Uh, you mentioned the spending bills and, and all of that, but anything else on Capitol Hill's front that is striking? Obviously, this investigation into the Hunter Biden scenario uh, continues to gather string uh, with Tony Bobolinsky, a uh, business partner, appearing today. Um, and it seems like that may be starting to gather a little moss on the stone. Yeah, there was something very cryptic before the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, first of all, they are trying to work out some sort of a compromise on renewing FISA. You know, this is the, the surveillance program that's very controversial and whether or not they can actually, you know, get scoop up the information and depending on who you talk to, spy on Americans inappropriately or illegally. Uh, there are some conservatives who are very opposed to this, uh, this revamp bill that's out there. But what I noticed when this was on the agenda for the uh, financial, excuse me, for the Intelligence Committee to look at this, there was another notice that they were going to consider a measure that they were going to report to the House to announce some sort of threat. And I did a little bit of reporting on this and I said, well, what is this about? And we couldn't figure out. I said, was the House hacked or was there a, a, a hacking somewhere? And they said, no. And, and I said, is it a threat to Congress? And they said, no. And what I've been able to, and when you cover intelligence, it's a lot of reading of tea leaves and reading of hand signals here, that it has something to do with a serious national security threat to the United States, which heretofore has been unknown, and that the House Intelligence Committee wants to communicate to the House. And I just talked just a few minutes ago to, uh, to someone uh, saying, is this something we're going to find out what it's about or what it is? And they said, probably not because why it's an intelligence matter and it seems to be highly classified. And Brett, I will say this, when I started asking about this, uh, it seemed as though people were very surprised that we had picked up on this and that it was though we had, they had seen a ghost when I brought up the issue with them, frankly. Uh, so well, we are trying to get to, Chad. Yeah, I know. So we're trying to get to the bottom of this. We believe it has, has something to do with a, a foreign government, a, you know, a state actor here in some form. But beyond that, we just don't know yet, but we will continue to dig. You know, I covered the Pentagon and the intelligence community for six years, and occasionally you got these signals that, um, you know, the threats the president reads are like a small phone book every day uh, or gets presented. And occasionally there are these ones that rise to the, the forefront uh, that, that are very, very mm -hmm. serious and require a lot of attention. So let's stay on that. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And now for a bit of history. As Valentine's Day approaches, Americans are keen to show their significant others how much they care. 
something President George Washington was known to do for his wife, Martha. On June 23rd, 1775, while he was in Philadelphia during the Revolutionary War, General George Washington wrote to his wife, quote, I retain an unalterable affection for you, which neither time nor distance can change. Signing the letter, your entire George Washington. After her husband's death in 1799, Martha destroyed almost all of their correspondence. Fortunately, we have that one. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Chad, and Kevin, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.